So uh, as we go into this section uh, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this to you, and then I'm going to really just unpack and kind of give us a historical context of what's going on here, because uh, some of these words that we're going to say as, as he talks about uh, slaves and masters, especially just with our, uh, the climate that we're in, uh, can be words that are very triggering for us, and so we need to understand and know what he's speaking to, uh, what kind of context, uh, you know, as we think about this, this letter. Uh, this book is a letter written to this church, and and what are they dealing with? What are they experiencing? How does it uh, connect to where they're at? So let me read this, and then we'll unpack it. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. It says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both with their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him." So, so Paul essentially, uh, he, we, we just talked about parents and children and that dynamic, that relationship, uh, how that plays out also uh, in a church context. But now he turns his attention to the slave and the master. Now, uh, as if, typically when you hear maybe this section uh, talked about or, or maybe you've heard a sermon on it, we tend to jump right to the application uh, of this section and, and we talk about employees and employers. Okay, now that is great application and we're going to get there as well, but we need to remember first and foremost that they aren't the same. Okay, Uh, an employee chooses by contract to give their labor and has options to continue that service or not under that contract. Okay, so they have a choice in it, right? So, so in one sense, we are going to talk about the connection to an employee and employer, but, but in, a, in a whole other way, you just need to understand that they are very different because a slave doesn't have that choice, uh, an employee uh, does. We also don't want to bypass the question here, right? Like, why doesn't Paul here outlaw slavery? Why doesn't he just outlaw it, right? Why, why don't we see that? Well, it's important to understand that the situation that Paul addressed was not like slavery in American history. Okay, so, so a lot of times when we read scripture, the danger or the temptation is for us to, to read it through a current worldview. Right? So we take what we've known from, from maybe what's happening right now to 10 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago even, and we look at Scripture and then we, we, we take what we've known um, or what we've heard in those time settings and then we immediately uh, place the Bible into that versus the reality that what he's speaking about, what he's talking uh, about, and, and even the time, the historical context of this is totally different when we're thinking of just like like modern day slavery, uh, when we think about whether it's human trafficking uh, right now, or or whether we talk about just even in uh, America and and just the the racial history that we have here in our context. But this, when he's talking about sl- slavery, this was complex. It was a massive scope. Like like American slavery was primarily racial, and it was a lifelong thing. In Paul's day, it was not racial. 
and it was not always lifelong. In fact, uh, when, when we think about how prevalent it was, like some have estimated in the Roman Empire, there's anywhere from, from, from 6 million slaves to, to I, I've heard upwards to 60 million potentially within the entire empire. Uh, many calculate almost one-third of the population were slaves. And so when he is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, literally one out of three uh, statistically is a slave that's receiving this. And it was just an accepted part of the Mediterranean world's economic life. They didn't just do these menial tasks as well. Like that's what we picture when we think of uh, slavery. Like, like they nearly did all of the work, including oversight and even management positions, uh, the different professions. They were, they were clerks. They were cashiers, bookkeepers. Uh, they manned not only low-level jobs, but also very high-level uh, jobs. Some slaves were more educated than even their owners. They could own property. They were allowed to save money. Uh, many bought their own freedom. In fact, many gained their freedom before the age of 30. Felix, who uh, we, we, when we were going through the book of Acts, Felix, uh, who was the governor that threw Paul into prison, uh, he had been a former slave. He was a slave that had literally had, had gotten his freedom and, and rose through the ranks to become uh, a governor. There were numerous female slaves as well and, and many of the large households serving as, as maids, hairdressers, uh, masseuses, seamstresses, nurses, uh, and, and many other uh, roles within that. But, but slavery, once again, it wasn't a matter of race, but, but a matter of circumstances it was, uh, and, and social standing. And, and, and we go, well, how, how, did they, how did they get into that? How did that, how did that really happen? Well, uh, it was a result of poverty in many situations. Uh, people that were impoverished, that didn't have anything, many times they would go into that uh, in order to, to, to get a living, in order to, to put food on the table, to have a place uh, to live. You know, for some people, they were born into it. Uh, they, they, their parents were in that, and they were, they were birthed into this culture, into, into slavery. Um, for, for some people, uh, it was a result of abandonment. Uh, I, I talked last week how specifically in Rome, they, there were literally these trash heaps, and they would abandon abandoned babies, abandoned kids there, um, and the early church was actually known for rescuing those, but we, but we, but we also know that many uh, were abandoned and then taken into slavery uh, as a result of that. There was kidnappings that would happen where kids were, were taken, parents actually selling their kids into slavery uh, in order to gain uh, income. There was many that were uh, slaves because of captivity due to war. Uh, many often, when they would go uh, and conquer a place, they would take uh, slaves. And so many people were taken out of their home and, and brought into this place of slavery. We also see an inability to pay debts. If you owed somebody, you could work that off as their slave. We actually see that in the Old Testament uh, with the nation uh, of Israel as well. And then there's also... Many that were slaves by choice. They actually had a really great situation with the master. They, they were close and they wanted uh, to continue in that relationship. They had opportunities in that relationship. They were able to really flourish and grow in that. And, and, and so we see all these different situations and scenarios as to why uh, people would be a slave. But, but when we look at just as a whole slavery at this time, they were regarded as property. 
They were owned and controlled by their masters uh, who had the opportunity and the choice to uh, increase responsibility or essentially take it away. Uh, they had the opportunity to treat them fairly or to treat them uh, awfully, in an awful way. Yet, uh, we see that even in that limited freedom, like if they tried to escape or, or things like that, they could lead to their own death. And so as Paul is going to address uh, masters here, this was huge. This was life-altering that he, in this letter, would address slave and masters in this way. I think it's also important to understand and know, because I hear this, and I've been asked this question before, do biblical writers endorse slavery? No, they don't. It's actually uh, the opposite. Neither this passage nor other passages endorse the abuse of power or the mistreatment of human beings in any way. Like we see the opposite, uh, actually. Um, but but so but then we go. Well, why do why do Paul and other New Testament writers not call for the abolition? Like why like why are they not trying to uh, say you know this this you know get rid of it and, and all of that? Why are they not doing that? Well, you need to understand historically in the context here. Remember, Christians were at first an insignificant group in the empire. This is just starting. This is just forming. It's really starting to grow uh, to the point like you need to understand that like their religion at this point, it was still considered unlawful and they were politically powerless. (laughs) Okay. So this is the situation. All right. And, and additionally, during this time, it was a major transitional phase uh, with the Roman Empire. In fact, many slaves were actually being freed during this time. Uh, in fact, in, in, in some uh, history books you see between 81 to 49 BC, uh, there were some 500,000 Roman slaves that were freed. So they're being freed during this time. Like conditions are changing uh, with slavery as Paul is even penning this letter. And we see he is just trying to give instructions about household relationships, just as he's talked about husband and wife, talked about children and parents, and now he's talking about the household relationships within this society and what they were dealing with. His goal is not to write a document about changing the social culture uh, because we see the Bible clearly opposes the type of cruel slavery we think of today. It's very clear. We see it all throughout scripture, right? We are called to what? We're called to love our neighbor. We're not called to own our neighbor. You know, Luke chapter 10, 27, it says, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, okay? Uh, Taking people against their will is absolutely evil. It's sinful, especially when you think of what abusing these people and that, like it is in opposition to God. We are to treat others how the way we would like to be treated. We're told that. Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So neither slavery nor masters are ever viewed positively in the Bible. Think about Israel. Israel was what? In awful slavery in Egypt. It was awful. God freed them from that, okay? He freed them. Then God gave Israel strict laws insisting that they were not to treat others as they had been treated in Egypt, okay? In Exodus chapter 21, uh, verse 16, check this out. It says, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Could he be any more clear that he is not okay with that? 
One of the pictures of the gospel is what? It's freedom from bondage. Okay, uh, we know from Luke 4, 18, how Jesus came to set spiritual captives free. We were spiritually captive and Jesus came and spiritually set us free from that. Paul's writings and other New Testament uh, teachings, they undermine slavery. They destroy it from within. How does it do that? Well, Paul tells us what in Ephesians 5, 1? He tells us to imitate who? Imitate God. Okay, so that's first and foremost, imitate God. Well, who is God? What is God about? Well, the psalmist says God is a father of the fatherless and a champion of the widows in Psalm 68.5. He's also, according to Psalm 146.9, he's a God of justice. He's a God of compassion. So he stands, he, he, he reigns against oppressors and he cares for the vulnerable, which is the opposite of slavery, right? Slavery is take advantage of the vulnerable. Slavery is abuse the vulnerable, control the vulnerable. God is the opposite. In, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, Paul actually is listing these particular sins associated with breaking the Ten Commandments. And the breaking of the eighth commandment is interesting uh, when we think of do not steal. He represents it when he mentions uh, a, 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 a different way of saying it. Let me just read it. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, it says, The sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, and then lo look at this. It says what? Enslavers. 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 And... In a more literal translation, it may even say in your Bible, kidnappers or slave dealers. So literally, it is listed here in relation to do not steal. Do not do this. This is the enslavers. Those of you that, that, that think you can do that or, or treat someone else like that or take someone, that is not okay. And that is breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Paul, just like the Old Testament, forbids this particular act of slavery explicitly. He undermines slavery by teaching equality. In Galatians 3.28, how many times have you heard me say it throughout uh, our study through the book of Ephesians as we've gone through it verse by verse? There is neither slave nor free anymore, right? He wiped the slate clean. We're all equal under God as we are brought in into Christ, into this relationship. There is no this person, that person, that person, or they're more spiritual, they're less, or, or they've got this gifting, they don't. No, we are, we are all equal before God. To further that point in Philemon, uh, the book of Philemon, we, we see, um, you know, in Philemon, it's actually uh, the, the person Philemon is in the book of Philemon, but we see Onesimus, this slave, he fled from his master, Philemon, and, and, and Onesimus, the slave, uh, he meets Paul, and Paul literally leads him to the Lord. He becomes a Christian. And then Paul urges Philemon to receive Onesimus back. How? This is really powerful. How does he say to receive this slave back? Philemon 16, it says, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. Look at this. This is so powerful. This is the heart of God. As a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And that's so powerful. Not only do you see forgiveness, you see restoration, you see redemption, you see how God views humanity equally and loves equally. See, Paul 
was redefining this slave and master, this relationship. He was redefining it in a countercultural way. He, he even told the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 7, 21, he says, it, you know, if you can obtain your freedom, you should. Paul's main concern, though, here is the spread of the gospel, but he also describes the ethics required between Christian slaves and Christian masters because given the population, he's got them right now. They're listening as this letter's being read, uh, many of them in that congregation. And so, as, as, as we think about this, uh, by, by changing how they related to each other, how they historically had treated um, uh, each other and responded to each other, he's planting these seeds for slavery's destruction. Slavery slowly died out in antiquity in that era because of the influence of Christianity. There were slaves uh, in this Ephesian congregation, but they were not second class, and he wanted them to know that, that you, you are a part of this. We are all one in Christ. There is unity here. And so as he considers the existing structure, he provides some gospel-centered instruction to both slaves and masters. And so let's read that again. He says in verse 5, of, of chapter uh, six in Ephesians. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. He says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing uh, the will of God from the heart. Okay, and I'll just stop there for a second because here's what's interesting. You kind of get the, the, the picture here. Uh, in each of, of like, if we just look at five uh, verses five through eight, we see four verses where Jesus is mentioned. As to Christ in verse five, as slaves of Christ uh, in, in verse six, as to the Lord in verse seven, receive this back from the Lord, uh, verse eight. And so we see really uh, the command is clear as we even just look at this group of passage, uh, passages here, live all of your life for Christ. In every area of your life, as you live, you are to live, and in and, 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 and particular, uh, as he talks to, these, to, to those that are enslaved right now, do your work as unto the Lord. Work in your capacity, and whatever that may be, because remember, some of these slaves, like, like, like they're big time, like, like they're high up as far as like what they've accomplished, what they've achieved, you know, and so you've got, even as these slaves are, are, are there and listening, they're, they're, at different, they're in different places, uh, but he says, listen, do your work, whatever that is, as unto the Lord. See, while, while slaves were to obey their masters, they were to see Jesus as the ultimate master. Okay, so Paul is urging servants to literally transfer who they view as their master. Okay, yes, that person may have this earthly title, but listen, I want to challenge you to not look at that person any anymore as that. You're actually going to operate as Christ being your master. That's who you look to. That's how you operate. That's how you love differently. Uh, that's how you work differently. And how are they going to glorify Christ in their work? Paul says in verse 5, what? They were, they were to obey with fear and trembling, which is just a weird little phrase there that we go, what, what in the world? Why? Well, Ephesians 5.21 used that same phrase. And, and, and essentially what it's talking about when it says fear and trembling is they're to work with reverence and respect as unto the Lord. So it's not this, oh my goodness, I'm afraid. It's more this, this reverence, this respect that, that you have for God. You need to work in that way. 
It's, it's, it's to God, it's not to a person. And this is big for us today. This is huge in looking at where you're at, in, in, in looking at your situation, in looking at what you're involved in, in what you're saying, in asking, is it about God? Am I making it about God? Is God the point? Or have I hijacked God's role in all of this and made all of these other things the point? And, and, and when you start making other things the point, what, you, what happens is your, is your life starts to be controlled and going into all these places. And, and what he is saying is, listen, you'll, you'll never reach satisfaction. You'll never accomplish enough. But if you can focus on, on, on doing what you're called to do and asked to do in light of it's about God, it's not about anybody in front of you or that, you will find satisfaction in God. And God is the only one that can give you the kind of satisfaction that you're desiring. Okay, he's the only one that can do that. And so as we, th- as we think about just respect uh, as a whole, our culture right now is like, you will not get my respect. You have to earn my respect. I heard you say this. I know you did this in your past, so I'm not gonna respect you. I'm not, in fact, I'm gonna be in opposition to you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna mock your failures, all this. Like we do this and we totally negate how, how our call to respect people has nothing to do with somebody earn it. It has everything to do with who God is. It always comes back to God. It always comes back to the gospel. And, and, and as we look at five and six, he talks about glorifying Christ by working wholeheartedly, okay? We see wholeheartedly here. Now notice the emphasis on the heart in these verses. We see what? With a sincere heart. And then it says doing the will of God from the heart. Okay, so, so he's talking about literally like, like this is not just something you do, you put on a show, all this. No, this has to come from our heart which is, this has to come from a sincere place, okay? It's gotta be transparent. It's gotta be genuine. That's what he's talking about, responding from that deep place in your heart that reveals that you actually believe what you're doing. You believe in it. It, it, It's reflecting who you actually are. He says, do the will of God from that place, uh, from the heart. This is a deep integrity. Be faithful in that. See, he's urging these servants to not be what? Hypocrites. Okay, don't don't just work while you're being watched. Don't just work when the master's like in the room or around. I think we all know people, I hope you're not that person, like that where all of a sudden the boss is there and you're just like super busy and all this and they leave and you go, okay, good, okay, all right, let's get on the phone again. You know, like, like, so, so he's, he's talking about literally like, don't be that. Don't work only while being watched. Don't, in order to please men, that's not sincere. That's not genuine. That's not, that's not what should be a reflection of your heart. Work with this genuineness that comes from your heart that reflects the will of God. That reflects the will of God. Colossians 3.23, uh, it says this. Whatever you do, work heartily, heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Okay, so, so you're working. It, it, once again, we see the heart condition, and then it's as for the Lord, not for men. Okay, so it should never matter if, if, if as, as a slave or, or somebody is, is listening to this, any type of employee is listening to this, it should never matter whether the master is in the room. Uh, it should never matter. I should be consistent in how I work, how I serve, how I honor that. Verse seven, uh, it talks about uh, what? It's, it says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So they should serve what? With a good attitude, not with a resentful spirit. 
okay? Like your attitude reflects a disconnect with your heart. Just always does. And so he says, your attitude should be unto the Lord. It should be a good attitude, not a resentful attitude. Think how often they probably struggled with that. Why am I here? Why do I have this role? Why do I have this job? How much longer do I have to be here? Do I have to serve in this capacity? Right? So, so you could naturally fall into that. And he tells them to put their heart and soul into their work because they are doing God's will. See, Paul encourages cheerful and glad service. That's what he's encouraging. And in verse eight, it says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So we're to glorify Christ. We see these slaves as they're hearing this, glorify Christ by working expectantly. This is really big. This is, this is different. And, and, and even when we, when we talk about uh, how that's going to play out in our context, our context which I'm, which I'm going to unpack in a minute, this whole idea of working expectantly. Now, see, because what Paul's doing is reminding them that the ultimate reward is coming. The ultimate reward is coming. Yes, God hasn't just, he hasn't showed up and just jacked you out of that situation. And, and like I said, some of the slaves are like, we love it. We, we're, we're in this role. We've chosen to be in this role. And some are like, how do I get out of this? But he's reminding them that their ultimate reward is coming. Stay faithful, work expectantly. What are you focused on? Is it your current situation? Is it that current person or what is to come? See, because we what we know from scripture, believers will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and he will, and this is what's awesome, he will reward us based on our present faithfulness. Okay, we always hear we're gonna stand before God or we try and convict, hey, you're gonna stand before God. What will you say? When, or you're gonna stand before God. He's gonna show you all your mistakes and all this. We always like think that way. And I, I think some of us as kids, we're like, that's what's gonna happen. But look, we actually see he's going to come and he desires, he desires to reward you for how you are faithful right now. He desires to reward you. I, I hope you hear that. I wish I could pull you out of the screen and, and just tell you that. It's so important because I just feel like in our culture, we're not hearing that. We're not hearing that. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Think of that. Think about that. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. He wants to repay. He wants to uh, reward us for the faithfulness that we demonstrate right now. Now think about how this perspective would change the way a person would work. Just think about it with that perspective in mind. See, the Lord is watching what we do and rewards. he rewards those who do it well. And this, you may, you know, this slave may have the most insignificant, may have the worst job ever. And, and this is what he's saying to them. See, scripture in multiple places talks about how the quality of each person's work will be tested. And what a master might miss or even, uh, you know, leave like unexpressed, right? Like, like um, a master may not even notice what that worker did there. They may not even see that they, they, they spent an extra hour, five hours in this way. And he's just saying, listen, it's not even about that because the only one that matters sees it. 
And so you're working for him. You're not working for that temporary pleasure and that. I'll tell you what, if, if, if you at all uh, work at a church, you have to continue to remind yourself it is not about people. It is always about God. And it's not just if you work at a church, but if you work anywhere, you are continually fighting this urge to make everything about people and please people and perform and make this person happy and that happy. And if you just focus on God, being faithful to God and, and, being, and understanding and knowing that he's specific called you to be there, to work there, you will be amazed at how he causes everything else to work out. It's just amazing. Like he, 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 he and, and, and listen, even if it's like, oh, it's not working out. You said it would work out. He's coming back. He's coming back. And he sees it all. He sees that no one acknowledges you. He sees that no one is saying, great job. You're not getting the pat on the back. He's seeing that, that nobody sees what you did extra there. He sees all of that. And so think through that, like focus on that. Like you think about what lifts your spirit. What always lifts our spirit? It's hope, right? It's a future hope. So imagine as people are hearing and receiving this, and I pray that you're receiving this, it should bring hope into our lives. Why do you think our world is so hopeless right now? Because everything that they put their stock in to bring joy, uh, to, to deliver for them right now is off the table and is a big unknown for a lot of people right now. So there's a lot of hopelessness, okay? If I'm a Jesus follower, my hope is rooted in the reality of who he is and that he's coming back. And I should be anticipating and I should be more faithful than ever right now. And so that's a byproduct. Verse nine, it says this. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Okay, so masters, they were to treat their slaves as they wanted to be treated. Oh, that was a big one. I mean, that was like a bomb being dropped as far as a letter in that culture. That was huge. Like no one was saying that, okay? And he's literally like, you need to treat them. You want to be treated with respect, with honor, with dignity, um, all those things. Well, now you do that. You treat them exactly how you want to be treated. Treat them like Christ. Matthew 25, 40. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Treat them as you would Christ. Masters should give that same respect and service they want to receive. And Paul says to stop your threatening. Christian masters, if you're in that role and you have uh, slaves working for you, bond servants working for you, like, listen, you're to be different. You're to lead different. You're not to bully or use aggression on them. Paul says, you know that both their master and yours is in heaven. <laughs> and that's big. Like Christ is watching how that master acts and uses that authority. He's watching. And remember that there is no favorites with God. God is impartial, okay? So, so there's no favorites. Like partiality, yeah, was written in the Roman law, but guess what? <laughs> Jesus is impartial. He is the divine equalizer, okay? So, so with God, you may think I'm getting away with this if you treat people in this way and you look at people this way, but you're not really getting away with it because Jesus, Jesus, the only one that, that actually really matters is seeing it all and he's, uh, he's operating on an equal playing field. And so, yeah, uh, on this earth, you may have this title, you may have this place, there may be 
be laws geared to, to bless you and not that person. But I'm telling you right now, we are called to love. You're called to sacrifice that, to raise them up and to acknowledge that that person is equal in the sight of God. And he loves them just as much as he loves the master. He says, treat him like that. See, this passage, when we look at this passage now and we bring it home to how you and I respond, what do we do with this? Well, it should change the way we work, huh? See, no, no work, when you read this, you go, man, well, no work is just work anymore. See, we like to compartmentalize. Oh, that's like the sacred or the secular. You hear that term a lot. And, and, and we like to like say, oh, this is, where, this is where I'm a Christian and then this is where I do the other things I do. But that's not, you can't take that away from this, Right? You can't. No work is just work. It's a, it, anything that you are doing in work is a way to serve and to honor Christ in any task. And so the first thing is this, work through Christ. You need to work through Christ. Remember, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Okay, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus abides in us, so do your work through him. In the Old Testament, Joseph was sold into slavery and he ended up working for a guy named Potiphar. And in Genesis 39, four times it says that the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph was never alone and you're never alone. You may feel alone. You may feel isolated. You might feel like nobody understands or knows. You may even be working from home right now and nobody's there. You are not alone. Jesus is with you. So we need to, we need to operate and work through Christ. We need to do our jobs relying on the Spirit's power. Listen, I would encourage you, pray before work. Pray before work. Get your heart right. Get your mind right. Get, get it set. What is it going to be about? Is it going to be about you? Is it going to be about that meeting or that? Pray before work. Pray during work. You're going you're gonna to need to hear from God a lot during the day. And then I would challenge you this. Pray at night in relation to your work for the next day. Process what happened and then pray. I, I, I have tried to make a practice of looking at my calendar and praying the night before. And I look at different meetings, different people that I'm going to connect with. And I go, God, even at night, I go, God, um, I pray that you would give me something here. I pray that, that God, you give me wisdom here. I pray that you give me discernment. Help me to navigate through that. We have to bring him into our daily routine. Work like Christ. Jesus gives us the model of a work ethic. What was he? The suffering servant. Okay, he humbled himself. He died for sinners. He took the form of a slave. He left glory to seek and to save the lost. He came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as what? A ransom for many, okay? And, 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 and not only that, like just to add to his work ethic and how he operated, he was a carpenter or a stonesman in this little podunk village town of Nazareth until he was the age of 30. Okay, so, so there's no way to just go, oh, well, he doesn't know. He doesn't understand the grind. He didn't know what it was really like. Oh, no, he fully does. Now, do you think he was disrespectful while he was working? Do you think he was disrespectful to other people? Do you think he was disrespectful like, like he probably worked for his dad? Do you think he was disrespectful? Well, he's perfect. No. Did he slack when no one was watching? Do you think he waited for those moments when nobody would watch, no one would see? Do you, do you think he did that? Maybe like bill someone for some extra time. Oh, I'm going to add like an hour there or 30 minutes there and get some more. Do you think Jesus maybe did that? Do you think he was resentful as he worked? Do you think he was resentful? I mean, this is Jesus, God in the flesh. And here he is in this little town doing this, this labor, manual labor. Do you think he was resentful? You think he had a bad attitude? 
You think his attitude was like, why am I here? What's the, what's the purpose? You know, this isn't fair. Do you think he compared his situation like we do a lot at work? Well, why, why, why do they have it like that? Why, why don't I get that? Why do they get that? Why does it seem like they're always in that position? Why does it just seem to work out in their, in their favor? Do you, think he, do you think he did that? Do you think he minimized his job and his role? Do you think he just went, man, this is it? This is my lot in life? See, I, I, I don't think he did that. <laughs> I think he embraced it all the way to the end for you and for me. We know he did. And if you're a Jesus follower, then you should be leading in your work environment. You should be leading in joy. You should be leading in humility, in character. You should be dependable. You should have an incredible work ethic. People should look to you and see the gospel being played out by how you work. They just should. Your workplace is a great place to make the gospel appeal to non-believers or to turn them away from wanting anything to do with what you're about. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, it says this, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one so that you will handle what you need to handle so that you are prepared so that you are where you need to be around who? Outsiders. Titus 2, 9 and 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not what? This is, this is probably important for us, especially us social media rock stars. Not argumentative. <laughs> not argumentative. That was extra, okay? Not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that what? So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So they may live in a way that adorns, that, that, that literally displays God, our Savior. So you should work for Christ. You should do your best as unto the Lord. Like that's how we're to, to, to work. And, and, and listen, like that, that means like in your work crew, if you're in construction, that means you're doing it in that context. Uh, if you're a teacher, that's how you're engaging with your students, other coworkers. Uh, if you're a doctor, how you treat your patients, nurses, how you deal with those uh, as well. If you're an assistant, how you assist other people, how you serve other people. Uh, if you're in customer service, how are you in relating with, with people? How are you connecting with them? If you're an accountant, how are you bringing that in to being an accountant? If you're a secretary, how are you doing that as a secretary? If you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, how are you doing that to the best of your ability before God? How are you modeling that? If you're a student, how are you living that out? If you're a teammate, how are you doing that? How are you treating people? How are you, how is your work ethic aligning to what God asked you to do? How are you loving that other person? How are you treating other people how you wished other people would treat you? And that always looks like your conversation when you get in the car after work, right? Because when you get in, your, in the car after work, you're, you're rehashing what you wish would have happened or what you wish people would have said or how that could have gone differently. And essentially in that moment, you take that thought captive and you go, wait a second, how did I deliver on the expectations I'm asking for people to deliver for me? And it'll transform. It'll shift you. Work knowing that how you work now, God is going to reward you for later. You know, many Christians do not meditate on this. We should anticipate the ultimate bonus of hearing, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Man, I desire that so bad. 
people in this life focus on the nature of their job, but the Bible puts the focus on being faithful in your job. We are so caught up, like no other time, in the title that we have or don't have or this role, and if we just get this job or that, we'll be okay. Everything will work out. And what it reveals when we don't have it is it shows that we have a major identity issue because our identity is rooted in God having to deliver this specific job or this role or this path. And that actually doesn't, that, that doesn't show that God's off. It shows that we're off because when you're in an unhealthy state like that and dependent on that and needing that, you're unable to appreciate and maximize where God's called you to be right now. And you're resentful and your attitude is not what it's talking about here. So you got to change that. Embrace where God has called you right now. Live this out right now. Operate like that right now. If you're an employer or a boss, I want to challenge you, lead through Christ, lead like Christ, and lead for Christ. We must lead out of the strength, out of his strength, not our own. Jesus was a shepherd. He was not a dictator. Care for your employees just like you want to be cared for yourself. Think about them in that way. Because we're going to give an account. And so we need to make ethical decisions. We need to be impartial. We need to seek to honor Christ and how we lead and how we love our employees and the people that have been entrusted to us. And I'll just say this as I close this down. COVID uh, and everything that's happened has like nothing else I know revealed a lot of things in my heart and my life that were motivating me. And they were not all things that I wish were motivating me. But what it did is it really revealed some of those things that were an unhealthy bend, an unhealthy dynamic that I had in my life. And I had to, and I had to address that because it was right there in my face. And I was confronted with the reality uh, that in that moment, God, were you really enough? Well, based upon how I was feeling, how I was acting uh, to myself in my room, just sitting there and all that. No, he wasn't. And so I had to shift. I had to reprioritize and ask, what is this really about? What is my purpose? And do I have enough for today to take this to heart, to apply this and to live this out right now? And I did, and you do. And so I wanna encourage you, however you're feeling, whatever you've been relying on, and, and even if you're miserable, run to him right now. Go to him in your current state. Whatever's in front of you or not in front of you, he will be faithful. And remember to keep your eyes focused on the most important. Remember to keep it focused on what he's talking talking about here, okay? It's the eternal. It's as unto the Lord. It's not about this person or that, that family member, that position, that opportunity. It's all about him. He's got you right where you're at for a specific plan and purpose. Embrace that. Learn to work, to serve, and to love him right now. Amen? Let's pray.